Hello, my name is Jason Perkins. I am the host of Talk Jockey. Um, I'm also an author. I've wrote two children's books with my son. Um, everyone's different just like me and the boy with super hearing. I've also written two poetry books. One released this year. Uh, the first poetry book was Cold Kingdom. And the second poetry book was Creating the Perfect Slaves. I support local business and I support local people. And I'm a local author to my local area. That's how local stuff works. My books are available locally in Hansford, Kentucky at the Red Spotted Red Spotted Newt. That's R-E-A-D, Red Spotted Newt. You can find them on Facebook. Uh, they've got a digital store. They'll ship to you. They're cheaper there than they are on anywhere else. If you want to buy my books, buy it locally in my area. Help me out and help out a local business. Contact the Red Spot in Newton Hazard, Kentucky to pick up any of my books. If, however, you're some type of monster or they happen to be sold out, which if they are sold out, if you'll give me time, I'll sign a book. And they can send you a signed book. It won't make it worth anything because I'm not famous. But it's the thought that counts. Uh, but if you are some sort of monster, you can buy them from Amazon. They're available, available with Amazon Prime free shipping and all that good job. Um, if you're not listening to this podcast on Spotify, you're missing a lot of episodes. Uh, a lot of episodes have music elements that can't be played on Spotify. The production is a little better generally on Spotify. The sound's a little better on Spotify. So go to Spotify and find TalkJunkie at Gmail. I'm sorry, find Talk Junkie. If you want to send us any questions, anything to the show, send it to TalkJunkie at gmail.com. Um, we're no longer available on YouTube. All the old episodes are still there. Uh, none of the new episodes are going to be there for now. Sorry, it's just the way it works. We are still available on Apple Podcasts, and it's a fine way to listen if you're listening there now. Thank you, but... It's not exactly the best way to hear the show because, like I said, there's some episodes you do not get. Uh, you didn't get summer or winter 1999. Uh, you didn't get cover songs. There's there's a lot of musically based episodes you're not going to get. Uh, so if you're not listening on Spotify, you're missing out completely and totally. Um, did have a letter I wanted to address uh, from a listener. Uh, bowling, bow, bowling. Ballin, Ballin, Ballin is his name, Ballin, Ballin Cox, um, sent me, uh, a question, I'll be honest with you, I didn't print it out before I sat down and recorded this, because I'm a horrible host, but he's out in Oregon on the trail, um, you know, I know dysentery is an issue out there, uh, they keep listening, and, uh, I really appreciate them listening, and he's been a very active, and one of the oldest fan listeners, probably the first or second listener to the podcast ever, to my knowledge, I don't know, um, but I really want to thank him for listening, and uh, I want to thank you guys for listening, this, this, this is an hour of me coming up of me really trying to dance around a sensitive subject, and I want you to send me your thoughts on this subject, and your thoughts on what I had to say, and would you have said something differently, um, I hope that you enjoy it regardless, and uh, it's probably the hardest podcast I've done. It, it really is. It's It was the most challenging by far, and um, 
I still don't know that I'm satisfied with the podcast. Uh, I wasn't satisfied with the voting podcast. I, I don't know if I'm satisfied with this one. I've already recorded it. I'm going back and recording this before. This is my introduction. I've got these new tools on uh, Anchor where I'm able to do those things. Sign up for Anchor. It is the revolution in podcasting. Protest is defined as a statement or action expressing disapproval or objection to something. Um, It's to express an objection to what someone has said or done. Uh, To declare something firmly and empathetically in the face of stated or implied doubt or in response to an accusation. There were a lot of protests this year. Um, Those have passed to a point that now I think I can sit down and do a podcast about them. That that may seem weird to a certain degree. You know, why, why would I have to wait? A lot of times... When anybody addresses something, they they like to to do it in the moment. I like to do it in the moment. It's that initial reaction, and the issue there is you get a lot of emotion. You're not thinking as clearly, as calculated, or maybe as compassionate, or as responsibly as you need to think and I want to talk a little bit about protest about defending your rights we're protected in the United States we have the right to assemble Uh, it is recognized as a human right and protected in the first amendment your right to assembly is your first amendment in the constitution Uh, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or of the right of people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of a grievance. Redress of grievance. Now, the Constitution plainly states it's, it's a peaceful uh, protest and, and that's important it's important for a lot of reasons um, the United States of America has a long and storied past um, in 1773 there's something we all learned about in school uh, the Boston Tea Party I don't really need to, to go into any great detail on the Boston Tea Party it, it, it is what it is and uh We continued that history. But the Boston Tea Party wasn't necessarily an American protest. You know, we we still were under control of a different government, uh, a ruling monarch. We we were still under England's control at that point and, and vying for our complete and total independence. We were very dependent on them for a lot of things. Uh, and tax taxation uh, 
played a huge role in in, in that in, in that protest. And I guess if you want to get into semantics, is it a protest? What is it? Is it is it an uprising? You know, but in its purest form, it it is a protest. There's an injustice being done, and actions to counter that injustice are being taken, but a point of view and a belief and a attempt to change the status quo is being made. And in its purest form, what is a protest? A protest is for the underrepresented. A true protest for those who are disenfranchised, whose voices aren't being heard, whose rights are not being protected, whose civil liberties are being infringed upon, whose ability to be free and pursue happiness is being put into jeopardy. Um, the United States was born with a rebellious streak it was born of a rebellious streak. It was born of a rebellious mindset. Um, you go to the Pennsylvania Mutiny in 1783, Shays' Rebellion in 1786. We have a long history of protest, of assembling and having our voice be heard. Pennsylvania Rebellion, Shays Rebellion, um, not completely peaceful. A peaceful, diplomatic, a political uh, attempt had been made to to solve these issues, and for whatever reason, you know, because history is history is written by the winners, and history is. Manipulated by the present, no matter what we do. He who controls the present controls the past, and he who controls the past controls the future. I've said that many times on this podcast, and, and it, 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 it's an important factor uh, in, in, in how we look at and do a lot of things. Uh, in 1838, there was the Penn Hall incident, Pennsylvania Hall incident. This was a case where you had an, a, a place that was the mecca of free thinking in Pennsylvania. A building that was considered to be sacred ground for those who were willing to question the ideals of the day. People willing to question uh, slavery, women's rights, things of that nature. And it was burned. And it was burnt because of that. It was burnt because it went against the status quo. It's it, it's a situation where protest, in a sense, or an uprising, in a sense, is used in a negative way. Uh, you know, I'm from eastern Kentucky, and I live very close to West Virginia. 1921, the Battle of Blair Mountain, that's the largest labor uprising in U.S. history. Now, this this is an instance to where a group of workers were being taken advantage of. 
They're underrepresented. They're disenfranchised. They're not being treated like free and equal people. They're slaves to company stores. And they're being taken advantage of and used as as underpaid, overworked, and exploited labor. That makes them prime candidates for protest. And they did protest. Uh, it became, like I said, the largest labor uprising in U.S. history. It became known as the Battle of Blair Mountain. It was also an extremely bloody situation. Um, law enforcement were part of a makeshift military, along with hired guns from, from coal companies and, and uh, big businesses. Actually, private planes were used to drop homemade bombs on these miners. Now, the Battle of Bar Mountain led to a lot of a lot of change in labor in that area of West Virginia. But it was slow change and it was hard change. But it was change that would have only come from standing up. The only people that's going to stand up and challenge the system are those who are being ignored and neglected by the system or those who are losing their control of the system. And in this instance... Uh, these miners were being taken advantage of by the system. Now, being from Kentucky, we go about a decade later, almost exactly, that from 1931 to 1939, you have Bloody Harlan, another labor uprising, another coal uh, union situation. These unions provided a way for these employees to be represented and for... Um, the company did not really have all the cards, as it were. A lot of people would say now that unions have flipped that role and, and they've hurt the American economy. I think it's a combination of, of both those sides seeking power because, see, that's, that's the undeniable human trait, the desire to seek power, the need to seek power, the need to be the powerful. It's something that we seem to not be able to get a grasp on as a species. Um, now, you, you can't talk about protest in any form of matter whatsoever, in, in any form of significance, and not talk about women's suffrage. More importantly, to not talk about civil rights. Uh, the Million Man March, a peaceful protest. that got a lot of eyes on a situation. But there's there's another march, actually a combination of three marches, uh, the Salem to, uh, Selma to Montgomery marches in 1965. So it was a peaceful protest as well, but it was not met with peace. It was messed with violence and aggression by the police. And those victims they carried themselves in a peaceful manner. But it was the brutal reaction from the police and the fact that for the first time in American history, something like that was really televised, really shown, really made public to where it was in your face. You couldn't avoid it. You couldn't ignore it. The, the ugliness 
of the situation was on full display. But again, you had people who were underrepresented, people who were marginalized, people who were disenfranchised, people who were being denied basic human rights. Basic human rights as a country that the country they lived in stated that they deserved. Yet, they didn't get these. The, the, these rights these rights were not awarded to them because they 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 were underrepresented in the system uh, it took place over 18 days it began on March 7th and went to March 25th uh, it was in Brown Chapel um, uh going to the Alabama State Capitol, Salmon, Montgomery, Alabama. It was in protest really to two particular things, two individual things. The murder of Jimmy Lee Jackson, um, an unprovoked racially charged murder, and African Americans being obstructed from registering to vote. Uh, and that was a result of a failed voter registration campaign. It was actually a situation where the federal government had to step in against the state level. And it's not something that, that, wanted, that they wanted, necessarily. Um, you know, the speech, The American Promise, that was delivered by Lyndon B. Johnson before Congress was a result of this situation in Selma. Uh, the introduction of Senate Bill 1964, a voting rights bill, in the 89th U.S. Congress was a result of this march. Um, a very hurried and rushed passage of voting rights bill in Congress was a result of this. The speech, How Long Not Long, delivered by Martin Luther King Jr., at the Alabama State Capitol was a result of this march. Peaceful protest, even though it wasn't peaceful on the part of the people trying to hold down the oppressed, peaceful protest resulted in positive change. Um, the United States of America is not, obviously, um, the only place where, where protests and civil uprisings happen. Actually, it probably happened more frequently in other parts of the world. Um, anyone born before 1985, I guess, would have to have some memory or at least some knowledge of Tiananmen Square and the democracy movement in China in, in 1989. That's a level of bravery and protest that's almost unmeasurable equivalent to many huge movements uh, around the world because this was a protest for democracy in a country that had no interest in democracy, in a country that ruled with an iron fist. In 1968, the United States of America We had a a protest that really signifies 
a moment of growth for the court system and and its ability to to adjudicate fairly uh, to some degree uh, and a true failing um, by Nixon and his administration at the Democratic convention in 1968 Walter Cronkite said something uh, to the effect of the Democratic Convention would begin in a police state. National Guard, state police, city police under Daly were all organized to prevent protest, peaceful protest. Um, the right to assemble is protected by a lot of things. <coughs> um, and the opportunity to assemble and protest is protected by the United States government. Uh, quite a few groups at that time tried to petition for uh, permits to protest. All permits were denied. At the time that this incident happened in 1968, it was under Lyndon B. Johnson. And... It was only after Lyndon B. Johnson was out and Nixon was in that the government pursued prosecution against some individuals on a conspiracy case that they had orchestrated a purposely violent protest. Now, although the United States government prosecuted these people and won the first case. It was quickly overturned, I believe, by the 7th District uh, Court. I don't know if those individuals had to spend their full five-year terms. I, I don't know the, the situation there. But it's a case of <coughs> suppression of the First Amendment right of Americans. Not just African Americans. White Americans. Um, Asian Americans. It's really a prevention of the First Amendment right for young people, people who were the actual people that were going to be sent to fight in a war that that uh, no government could have seen to be profitable, but somehow uh, we stayed in it as long as we did. Uh, that being the Vietnam War. Protest is one of those things that it's made into a black and white issue. It's made into a right and wrong issue. And people like to take sides on protest. And it's easy to tell which side someone's going to be on because they let their personal feelings get sucked into the conversation. And it's not a conversation about personal feelings. It's conversational about constitutional rights. It's a conversation about having your voice heard, having the voice of the voiceless, the voice of the disenfranchised, the voice of the underrepresented, the, the voice of the common person to be heard, and for that voice to be able to be as loud as the establishment or the government or the company that's oppressing them. 
Our right to protest is the first line of defense against tyranny. The question is, what protests do we defend? And that's a hard question to answer because that becomes a personal a personal question, a question of personal opinion, not a question of right and wrong, not a question of constitutional right. It becomes a question of opinion. And opinions are dangerous. And because a lot of times the issue with opinions are they're based in emotion and not based in knowledge, not based in critical thinking, not based in statistical fact, but in opinion. Often, very often, I'd say more often than not, opinion is equally as influenced by environment and experience. See, for me to say, as a late 30s white male from eastern Kentucky, that I have any idea what the plight of a Chinese citizen, a female Chinese citizen in China in 1989 was, is ridiculous. For me to say that I can completely and totally identify with the plight of African Americans during the Civil Rights Movement is a ludicrous statement. Ridiculous. For me to say that I can understand, let's take something new, something that's recent. For me to say that I can understand the situation for an African American in the United States of America right now in 2020 in regards to their relationship with police. That's a moronic statement. I can empathize. I, I can sympathize. I can attempt to understand. And I can attempt to try to connect with their situation. But I can never fully experience it. There's no way. And the thing about protest, the thing about the need for change is that it doesn't happen overnight. It grows. It becomes larger. It becomes a ongoing endeavor. And I say that for a reason. There's a, an important statistic to look at. Um, let's, let's look at the... Um, Let's look at the Million Mom March, because we've not discussed that. It's actually 750,000 people. And in regards to, in relationship to, some of the largest protest gatherings in history, it's only 12th on the list. In that top five, you don't see the Million Man March. Number one on that list you see George Floyd protest of 2020 
That's number one on the list of, of protest numbers. That's the largest protest combined in U.S. history. Now, this is why I've tried not to talk about this right when it happened. We look at the situation, situation of what happened, and it's a divisive discussion because people want to bring up the past of George Floyd. Was he resisting? I, I saw a video for the first time a week ago that showed me that maybe there was some resistance there. Now, there's also the issue of how well he and this cop knew each other and what type of reputation this cop had, what kind of history this cop had. Was it known what kind of person this cop was? Was it known what kind of person George Floyd was in regards to his his history? So, with no disrespect to the situation, but with no disrespect in regard to Mr. Floyd or to this officer who I feel went over the line. Let's look at something else. Let's look at the reaction. If, if George Floyd's a monster... Do you still get this reaction? Probably not. If George Floyd is a saint, do you still get this reaction? To this magnitude, probably not. If this cop's the worst cop in the history of the world, and he may be, do you get the same type of reaction? Statistically not. So what leads to this a reaction of this magnitude, what gets you to that point? Culmination. Event after event after event. Statistically, more white Americans are shot by cops than any other race. However, if we look at the number of white American citizens in comparison to the number of African-American, black American citizens. To me, I don't understand how African-American is not a derogatory statement. You're an American, and you deserve the right to be called an American, and it doesn't have to have a caveat put with it. You're an American. And as ugly as it is, in order to do this, to, to, to illustrate this point, race has to be an issue. But statistically... Even though they're a smaller portion of the population, African Americans are more likely to be shot on percentage by an officer, by a white officer, because officers are disproportionately white. That leads to an atmosphere and it results in a culture. of constant fear. I'm a 38-year-old white person 
a male to boot who has family who are police officers, a lot of friends who are police officers. I know some good police officers. I know a lot of horrible police officers. I don't judge one by the other. I determine who and how a person is based on that person. That's easy to do with people you know. Do I still freak out around police officers? Yes, I do sometimes. But at the risk of being politically incorrect, if you put me in a predominantly low-income African-American community, I'm going to be worried. To be honest, if you put me in a very redneck, predominantly white area, low-income, with a history of violence... I'm going to be just as worried if you apply those same caveats to the African-American neighborhood. It would be the same for a Cuban neighborhood, a Latino neighborhood, an Asian neighborhood. It's a sense of not feeling safe in your environment. But regardless of who George Floyd is and regardless of what kind of cop this is, this movement doesn't get to the point that it got to in 2020. The situation doesn't get to the point that it's at in 2020 without a history of violence. The question's not, should you protest? Protest may even always be the best first option. A voice of discontent, a voice of, of unhappiness, a voice of concern... Those are all those all have the possibility to be helpful. But that voice of concern, that voice of questioning what's wrong. That's the most important voice. Because it's the first step to helping to achieve representation. And that's the one thing that all these situations have in common. When, when we look at the Battle of Blair Mountain, I can go back and pull the statistics. Go pull the statistics yourself. You're going to predominantly white. Almost 99%. Uprising. Violent protest. Not a peaceful protest. I would say forced to be violent by those being protested against. Look at Bloody Harlan. Look at the same issue. Predominantly white protest. Look at the Million Man March. Predominantly African American protest. By a large number. Completely peaceful. As was Selma. Pennsylvania Mutiny. Shays Rebellion. Pennsylvania Hall. Completely and totally white. At that time. A non- Free African, a free, you know, depending on the date on some of these. Because at some point it wouldn't even be possible for there to be a free black American. But to even be a, a, a free black American and participate in that would be a dangerous, dangerous thing. Those protesting alongside you may turn against you. You're underrepresented. You're disenfranchised. You're, you're not being heard. Your voice doesn't count. 
It's supposed to count. The Constitution promises that it'll count. Now, 2020 has been a year of protest. And we keep asking both sides. The people you're protesting on behalf of, the victims you're protesting on behalf of, what kind of people are they? Everything in life becomes so much simpler when you can break it down into black and white answers. Simple yes or no answers, good and bad, right and wrong. But the unfortunate and uncomfortable thing about life is 99% of our issues don't fall into one of those categories. They fall into that gray. They fall into that middle area. See, your initial response a lot of times will be dictated by your personal experience, your personal opinion, what you're familiar with, what you've seen, what you're being told, who's telling you, and what their agenda is. My first look at the George Floyd case, I felt it was murder. Execution. Says nothing else. I've seen evidence since then that people have brought to my attention that show me there was, if this video was from that same time period and all that's correct, there was resisting. Once the suspect was on the ground, though, begging to breathe, and I hear it's a heart attack, and I hear it's an overdose. Once that situation's passed and I'm able to look back in hindsight, the protest itself, regardless of any of those variables, is justified because it's simply the desire for people to be heard, people whose voice isn't as loud as it should be. Then you got to get to the issue of peaceful protest versus looting versus rioting. The unpopular point of view is that once it leaves protest and goes into riot, into looting, then it's no longer a viable option for change. It then becomes a crime. It then becomes against the constitutional statement of the right to assemble and peacefully protest. But hold that thought for a moment. We're looking at beating innocent people. We're looking at tearing down stores, mom and pop stores, burning buildings. What are we protesting? Are we protesting our own community? Are we protesting our own financial stability? Are we protesting against the growth of our area? Our growth of our neighborhood? The growth of our peoples? Because that's what it becomes. It doesn't become a protest 
against police brutality. It becomes a protest against progress. It becomes a protest against peace. It becomes a protest against the community that the protest has been held in. Now, to me, it would seem more logical that the protest would be against the government, against the government facilities, against government-owned property. Now, does that mean it should go to that point? See, that's not a black and white. That's not a yes or no question. That's a dependent upon variables. That's a dependent upon situation. You can't get a yes or no with that. We come back to that just like we want to come back to some other stuff. We look at what do we accomplish from this protest? And does this protest have to be peaceful? It does. It does have to be peaceful. It has to be peaceful in order to be a protest. Almost by definition, it has to be peaceful in order to be a protest. Once you get outside the realm of peaceful expression, you've left the realm of protest. Now, if you're looking for a black and white answer, you have to either say, that that's a criminal activity anytime you do it. Or you have to say that if the circumstances are right, it's excusable. I think it's clear. I think Bloody Harlan shows us. I think Battle of Blair Mountain shows us. I think that the Boston Tea Party shows us. I think that the American Revolution shows us that sometimes Violent protest is needed. I'm not saying that what we need in 2020 is violent protest. No. Because I don't, to me, that's an oxymoron to say violent protest. I say what we need in 2020 is protest. We need voices to be heard. We need unity. And you get to unity through peaceful protest, and you get to unity by continually wiring down the system. And does that seem fair? Does it seem fair that you have to continue to suffer until you can peacefully express your point of view and long enough that the government will give in and give you free and fair representation? It depends. Depends on the situation. If it's a non-life threatening situation, if it's term limits in the House and Senate, something we should be protesting, something we should protest with our vote on every election, voting against every incumbent, something that we should protest via phone and phone calls and flooding Washington. Something we should protest via assembly and speech. Something we should protest in the form of literature and articles. That takes time. Change takes time. And that time is acceptable and warranted. But when it becomes a life or death situation, then... How much time is acceptable? How many lost lives are acceptable? See, it's easy 
your pro cop, your right wing, or you're so far removed from the other person's plight that you can't associate with it or recognize it or or have any sort of connection to it. Well, in that case, it's simple. What happened in 2020 doesn't need protest. What happened in 2020 doesn't need violence, doesn't need peace. It just You just comply. Just comply. You're far left. The protests aren't enough. It's not going far enough. It needs violence. It needs a voice so loud, so destructive, it can't be ignored. Well, that does what it's designed to do. It causes division. But see, the problem's more nuanced than that. And if you don't have the ability to look at it objectively and with some sense of consideration for all the different moving parts, then you're not really looking at the problem. Doing what 90% of the people do. Pulling party line, towing the line, and, and being thought for. Having decisions made for you. We came to this country, the original founders, for freedom. Religious freedom, freedom of expression, freedom from a monarch, freedom to be represented by your peers, being represented by those you choose to represent you, and not allowing for a monarchy. Checks and balances were put in place. If you look at the way the United States was set up and what they were able to accomplish, it's really amazing. Now, was it built on good principles? No. It's built on great ideals. It's built on horrible practices. That all men be created equal. That all men have the right to pursue happiness and freedom and beautiful tenets. A beautiful ideal. It's 2020 and we've not got there, not completely. Native Americans, extremely underrepresented in this country, the country that belongs to them. Certain fields, Asian Americans are underrepresented in. Certain fields, African Americans are underrepresented in. Certain fields, white Americans are separated into. You break that down even further. Many, many fields. Not as many as other groups, but many fields. Poor inner city black American youth and poor, white, rural, Appalachian youth are some of the most underrepresented people in the United States of America, especially if you make them a male or gay and lesbian. I mean a female or gay or lesbian. Wonderful ideals. Not wonderful practice. But it's an evolving process. It's something we get better at. Something we grow at. 
something that is a constant advancement. But it's not an advancement that will come without pushing. It's an advancement that requires being prodded and prodded often. And what's the easiest way to prod? The easiest way to prod. Well, the easiest way to prod is protest. There's a lot of forms of protest. All peaceful. Voting. I think after this election, people are going to realize that. Slowly, and not all. I think they're going to realize they voted a guy in to replace a guy that on paper is really hard to tell the difference between. On paper, I don't know if you could ever tell the difference between Bush and Obama. But voting allows that, and it starts at the lowest level and moves its way up. Protest. Protest allows that. Speaking out and speaking up affects change more than anything. Having the bravery to say you support protest. Even a protest you don't agree with. But you support the right to assemble. The Klan's right to meet and wear their bed sheets is just as important as the George Floyd's people, you know, the George Floyd protests being allowed to happen. Protect everyone's right. But then you gotta go a step further. Then you gotta say, a 40 year old upper class white male in a nice neighborhood's right to not fear being shot by the police has to become equal for a low-income, inner-city, African-American youth. It has to. It has to become equal footing, equal ground. Because if it doesn't, people are going to protest. But let me tell you what happens. When somebody, regardless if they do it the wrong way, they say it the wrong way, they act in the wrong manner, regardless of that, if someone or some group is oppressed enough and they speak out enough, no matter how quiet the voice gets, it'll get so loud you can't ignore it. And when it gets that loud, you have two options. Reevaluate who you are and what you're doing, especially in the form of a government. Or try to silence that voice. You can peacefully silence voices. But it's a matter of semantics. Because a silenced voice, that's never a peaceful thing. But let me tell you what happens when that voice gets that loud. And you elect to go the silencing route. You may quieten the voice. Join the peaceful protest. And then that movement, that group of people have two options. You had two options as a government, now they have two options. One option, took tail and run. The other option, revolution. 
It's a scary idea. It's a scary thought. It's not a scary thought if you're on the losing side of it. If you're on the side that has nothing to lose. Your situation financially is not going to get better. Your situation politically is not going to get better. Your situation in regards to your freedom is not going to get any better. The big thing. In regards to hope for your children's future. Doesn't get any better. At that point you don't have anything to lose. And at that point it doesn't matter if you're right anymore. Doesn't matter if you approach it in the wrong manner. All that's out the door. You just want the change. For me to sit and say, I don't support a protest because maybe certain aspects of the protest information is inaccurate, but the meaning behind the protest is obviously sincere. And the problem is obviously a real issue. Well, for me to not support that because I don't do, agree with the type of person someone is. That comes from one of two places. I've been able to think and rationalize for myself. Or fear. Fear of change. The thing is... There's been a lot of movement in regards to civil rights. So you can't sit and say that protests and peaceful protests won't change anything in regards to civil rights because it can, it has, to a certain degree. But blood, blood's what pushed it over. The blood of the Kennedys, the blood of Dr. King, the blood of Malcolm X, the blood of those peaceful protesters in Selma, Nobody wants to eat at a fine table with blood on their hands. Not even politicians, not even gut eaters. That's what they are. They're gut eaters. They're vultures. The lowest form of cleanup crew. But even them, even they, want clean hands at the table. So that makes that second option a lot less appealing. It actually makes it a hindrance to their one true goal, like money. Now, I determined how I felt about peaceful protest. I support it, regardless of if I agree with the situation or not. Let me also say that I'm afraid that I'm coming across like I don't agree with any of the protests in 2020. And I do. And that'll be unpopular with a lot of my friends. It, it, it will. Because the media and, and certain political groups have made it you either support the police or you're anti-police. You either support African Americans or you're anti-African American. It becomes a racial thing. It becomes a police thing. You've got African-American cops caught in that situation. You've got white Antifa members caught in that situation. And it's been hijacked. It's been hijacked by the media. It's been hijacked by Antifa. Anti-fascism. 
look up the definition for fascism. Get a real understanding for what fascism is. Then go look what happened in Washington State. Go look at what happened in this little district that they started to drum. If you don't see instantly that that was fascism, then you're not intelligent enough to have the conversation. That's not being condescending or disrespectful. That's stating a fact that you may not be able to find on your own because if you can't look at it and see that that's fascism, you don't really have a place at the table. It's not required to be a genius to discuss the woes of man. But it's required to have enough intelligence to breathe on your own. Now, Antifa's hijacking things. Things are getting associated with protests that have nothing to do with them. A movement's being taken away. A movement for fair treatment for African Americans by police officers. It was hijacked by a political party. And they rode it all the way to the White House. Now, on the other hand, that puts you at about 50% of the country. There's another 50% there. 50% that feel that no matter what, no matter how wrong the police were in this situation, and no matter how right a victim was, that has no bearing on their stance. Because another political party has hijacked the other side. And it's this simple. You agree with them or you don't support the police. You agree with them or you don't support the Constitution. Both sides are fighting with everything in them to restrict your ability to free speech and expression. Now, a lot of these protests were not peaceful protests. They weren't protests. They were rioting and, and uh, common thuggery. Store owners beat. Local stores, like I said, if you want to protest, you do it peacefully, and that's the simplest way to put that. Look at the definition of the word. Look at the First Amendment. Read the Constitution. Read the Bill of Rights. Understand what protest is. Then that's not a discussion we have to have. Then it becomes a black and white issue. In order to be protested, it has to be peaceful. Otherwise, you get something else. You can get a riot. A riot can be fueled by the right things. A riot can be fueled by passion. And a riot can be fueled by a desire for freedom and equality and representation. It can be. It's generally not. But it can be. Looting. Looting can never be anything except for a crime. In regards to looting private property. In regards to looting a mom and pop store. But, this is the unpopular part. If peaceful protest doesn't work. If no matter how loud you get your voice... 
I just crank up the interference. Then, protest is not going to cut it. It's not going to do it. It's, it's not going to remedy the situation. Revolution. Revolution will. Revolution will change anything. Revolution has the potential to change everything. Revolution is not always good. Che Guevara, revolutionary. Che Guevara, murderer. A war criminal. A generally bad person. Revolution is not always good. But sometimes it is. The American Revolution. In regards to revolution... It's an all-in deal. You have to understand there's collateral damage. There's unrepairable damage that will be done. Do I think we're to the point that revolution's the answer? No. Let me preface that with I'm a 38-year-old white male from Eastern Kentucky. But I hope and I believe and I feel that attention, documentation, peaceful protest, and a voting plan starting at the city level can peacefully change. Almost any situation we have in the United States of America. Nothing, including revolution, will ever eradicate racism. In a population this big, you can't even breed out stupidity. It's not possible. But, you can't fight for what you believe in. I thought long and hard for a long time about how I really felt. What I really thought about the situation, about these protests or these riots. And that's the best explanation I can give you. I'm willing to protest peacefully. Even for things that don't affect me. Even for things that I don't necessarily believe in. But that don't pose a negative impact on anybody. I'm willing for rebellion if need be. But it should be a last resort. And if you feel like it should be a last resort, that's on you. It's on you to to be the intermediary, to be the bridge between peaceful protest and change, to be willing to hear a voice not your own, to be willing to hear a plight not your own, to be willing to hear a problem not your own, and to be willing to stand with your fellow American when wrong is being done to them.
I believe all those things to be true. And I believe in the process of protest. And I believe that in some situations, rebellion and revolution is necessary.